Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 96 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from OSCON here in Portland, Oregon, and we're here today with Joe Arnold, CEO and founder of SwiftStack. How are you doing, Joe? Good. How's it going, Aaron? Thanks for having me on. Thank you, thank you. And today, we're really going to talk about object storage, um, the project, the products, new advancements, and so really wanted to to kind of this one might be a little more deep technically than some of our others, but I, I think this is perfect for for this. And so, Joe, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background prior yeah. to SwiftStack, how you got involved, and in, you know you were at cloud scaling, you were at Engine Yard. Tell us a little bit about it, it's a it, well. My background really comes from doing doing web applications and helping pe- people build out applications. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Background in network management, worked at Yahoo for a stint, uh, and then I had an opportunity to work at Engine Yard, where we built Ruby, Ruby on Rails. We're actually managing a, a mainline version of Ruby, Rubinius, which mm-hmm. is the Ruby interpreter on LLVM, uh, and JRuby, and we also did a lot of the work around Rails 3. And then what happened was Amazon became an investor in Engine Yard. And instead of doing managed service around Ruby and Rails hosting, what we did is we built a platform as a service on top of, of AWS. And we were kind of cutting our teeth. It was just coming out of beta at the time. And we really learned how to build applications with cloud infrastructure. And along the way, what we found was uh, people loved to be able to burst out, scale out. Um, and when they were building these applications, they... they in the context of storage, which got, which leads me to, to SwiftStack, mm-hmm. what they were doing is you had two types of storage. Well, really three, but only two that really mattered. You had the the type of storage where you're 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 building databases, and you cannot get enough IOPS to do your transactions and uh, and have snappy performance. And then you need something really deep that can serve content directly out to the applications that people were building. And those those were web applications, those were mobile applications, those were SaaS apps for enterprises. And for that, S3 was a really good option because uh, it, it had lots of concurrency. Application developers really liked to, to build applications around it. So that was kind of a lesson that we learned from that. Then, I don't know, I just keep going down lower and lower <laughs> in the stack. And, uh, you're got, the opposite of most in the industry. Everyone's trying to go up stack, and you're going yeah, down I'm stack. going right? down. I, <laughs> it's, it's just harder and harder to explain to my, my family what I do. Uh, and, and so I yeah. got, 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 got an opportunity to work with Randy Bias at Cloud Scaling. And when that, while that was happening, OpenStack was announced. And the two projects that were the initial ones for OpenStack were... Compute, which came from NASA, and Swift, which powered Rackspace cloud files. Mm-hmm. So that came from Rackspace. Yep. And having the background of engineering and seeing how people built applications with one of our one of our clients, Internap, we you know really latched onto that and went to deploy one of the first OpenStack Swift deployments outside of. Of, of Rackspace, which was a pretty cool cool thing to do. Uh, and then we did the same thing for Korea Telecom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learned a lot along the way and 
I don't know, just got thinking, there's a lot of people doing the compute, and there, there really could be a lot more work to productize something around the, something, the, the cloud files, the Swift project, the object storage side of OpenStack. And so I uh, got the opportunity to start SwiftStack, uh, and here we are today. been working on that for uh, almost two years now. Nice, nice. And so um, you, don't, you didn't, didn't know this was coming, but I have to plug for a second real sure. quick. Um, so most of what I know about Swift, I know because of you. The reason being, you've got a good book. Thank you. I read the book. And honestly, though, the, the Swift Stack YouTube channel, yeah. although it, you know, it hasn't been updated in a little bit, it goes very deep in architecture of Swift. And you've got some really good videos out there on the YouTube channel. And that's actually how I, I was like, oh, I want to go learn what Swift is. And I just kind of well, Google searched it and... Yeah, that's well, where it popped up. Yeah, right? th- so, thank so you. So that was my initial thank you. dipping my toes in the water was was actually thanks to you. So thank you for doing those. No, videos. no, th- <laughs> th- thanks for the compliments. And I, I mean, just an aside, more more generally, for for those who are who are doing something fundamentally new, mm-hmm. it takes a big shift in people's understanding to to move that forward. And so, what I really got, uh, really, one of the mantras of the company is is teaching and learning. And I, I think it's just, I guess, for, any, for anybody who's doing something new, new projects, whether it's an open source project um, or in a company and working on projects, it's a great way to communicate, hey, here's what we do. It's just to share as much as you can. And with us, we have the, for, the, the, the it's open source based. So I've been working in open source you know, for a while. And just teaching everybody that everything you possibly can about the open source project is what leads people to the project. So right. the more they know, the better decisions they can make. Yep. And yeah, we built a product around the open source project. But you know, we also teach people how to build, practically build that project, uh, you know, sure. that product as well. Yeah. Um, and, and just, so I, it's, it's, a good, it's a good tool. So we're, we have a book. It's available at uh, swiftstack.com forward slash book, and you can request a copy there. Um, and, uh, and also we have some good resources on OpenStack Swift. So again, swiftstack.com forward slash OpenStack dash Swift, and we have a bunch of videos cool. uh, that we have up there uh, to learn more. So let's you know we'll step back here for a second for the listeners that are relatively new to the show or are new to um, object-based storage. Let's kind of start at the top and work our way down yep. technically. What is object storage at its simplified? version, and how does it compare to traditional, say, file and block storage? I'm going to step, can I step a one level up? Sure. Okay. So, Absolutely. So I'm going to stop, so what what we've noticed with the type of applications that we've been serving is that we're doing storage not not necessarily in, in and around block or file, and it, it's, it's we're, we're building out storage platform that applications use. So... You know, for example, Wikipedia, they have all these data assets. What's a great way to serve them out? They have, it has to be delivered via HTTP, the language of the web. Uh, people who are building mobile applications, now their users are expecting to be able to have that same content, whether it's on a web browser, mobile device, tablet. Uh, as storage with our, I mean, your, your laptop, you, I'm sure you have a, not a hard drive in that anymore. <laughs> um, we right. all have multiple devices, and they actually uh, have less storage in them now 
then the la- at least for me, the last model that I bought had right. more storage in it. Right. Very <laughs> but true. I know I know I'm not producing less data, mm-hmm. less content. And what, so, but really what's happened is the consumption model of how we consume our data, whether it's like for our personal stuff or in the context of, of enterprise applications, how, how they're sharing it, data, it's all shifting. It's all, it's all uh, leading towards cloud-based type storage systems. Um, so that, I think that sets the stage for uh, where op- object storage is today as opposed to where it has been. Sure. Um, so, so object storage... Some of the properties of object storage are to deliver, and in our context, HTTP addressable. So each bit of content has a URL associated with it. Yep. You can set permissions according to that ACL. You also uh, uh, do uh, uh, various uh, ser- serving of different types of data uh, depending on its content type, things like that. Where it differs from file and uh, block storage is that it's really the storage pool to for for unstructured data and lots of it mm-hmm. and just bring it back to how people are building applications today you have a database and you have uh, that you cannot get enough high off right <laughs> and so those are going to flash ssd based systems and then yeah, there's something in the middle. We need to run an operating system. If you do that in Amazon today, the default is using an ephemeral storage. Um, being able to save that off is awfully convenient, but it's strictly not required for, for a lot of the scale-out applications. And then there's object storage. And the object storage is the big bottomless pit of content. You don't know which bit is going to be accessed at any given point, mm-hmm. but when it does... Well, right. <laughs> it better be there, you <laughs> yes. know. Yes. And so, you know, you look at something like, you know, Wikipedia is kind of a good example because it's a, you know, it's a customer of ours. Uh, it's good to everyone can associate with it. But they have a cache in front of their, uh, in front of their object store, which can only cache so much stuff. But ultimately, the unpopular stuff gets access, and it's still got to render in a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's some of the things that object storage are really good at. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, when it comes to <clears throat> kind of the next layer down uh, well actually before we even go there one of the other, other kind of big things especially when we're talking about really at scale applications is kind of the idea of geographic disbursement um, and I was it the Swift Project 1.9 mm, and yeah. there was something in there global clusters is that related to that and then Tell me a little bit about, you know, in a modeling of beyond just one data center, right? Yeah. How does it kind of scale and get dispersed and do things like that? So the way Swift works is that it has, it's a, maybe it's a poor way to describe it, a unique as possible data placement. And that sets up the stage that in a data center, you can have different racks of equipment. Mm-hmm. And you can make sure that replicas are placed in different racks. Okay. If you have different rooms, same thing. One thing that we wanted to be able to have, uh, customers kept asking for, was the ability to set up multiple geographic sites, which are connected by a high-latent LAN link in between the two data centers. And so what we did is we started on a project. We enlisted the, the, 
kind of called arms to the community and we said, hey, we'd like to, to build this project out. We got lots of input from users and other developers. And as a, as a community, we built out this feature and it came out in version 1.9. It's global replication and enables deployers to put up multiple geographically distant data centers and talk to it as if it's one customer. And then there's different rules depending on where you talk to the to talk to the cluster. The most common use of this is for active active and disaster recovery mm-hmm. scenarios. <clears throat> yes. And what this allows so for example we have a uh, we have uh, as a enterprise ERP SaaS application provider and they have two data centers and what they can do is home users to each one of those data centers and they do that because they can get a very good response time based on that user's geography. Mm-hmm. And in the event of a failure, if one of those data centers goes away, well, they can, they can move everyone over to the other failover site and, and, and things will behave just fine. Uh, but in that way, they can get active-active with eventual consistency between the two data centers. Sure. Um, and, that's, and that's one of the big differences. I mean, to highlight the difference between um, block and object. The, the, one of the big differences is how it handles the consistency model. With, with, the, with building a database, a database, when you're doing transactions, you need to be able to say, I want to mutate these bits on this right. system, <laughs> and nobody else can touch them. Yes. I am, I am adding points to their score <laughs> or right. you know, deducting amount, dollar amounts from a bank account, something like that. And in, in something like Swift... There isn't such a facility. Mm-hmm. It, it will, multiple writers can go into the system, all updating the same thing at the same time. And you know what? The newest one wins. Mm-hmm. And that, it means that you, you're loosening up the constraints in, in, tra- in transaction. Mm-hmm. You adopt eventual consistency uh, uh, policies. But in exchange for that, you get the ability to scale out much easier. Sure. And so in the case where you are, have multiple geographies, where you have two clusters, there's no way you're going to be able to update one side of a WAN link, and, ha- and you don't want to lock mm-hmm. and prevent access uh, to make sure those get updated. So you, you, make, you, you, re- you re- relax the constraint so that data can be served from both. You can sure. read data from both, and that happens very quickly to the user. And you use last right wins to uh, to propagate changes around. Gotcha. And there's something else I wanted to to kind of bring to everyone's attention is <clears throat> that I found very interesting in the, in the architecture is really the decoupling of the controller from the actual data or mm. nodes. Um, because so I, I I come from a very traditional SAN background. So, you know, NetApp, EMC, HP, IBM, you know, all those big players, right? And it it's always the typical uh, typical SAN technology of, you know, two two controllers, active active, all in one data center, and how are you going to get that data somewhere else? And what if a head goes down and this and that, right? But and so like I, I what I wanted to point out too is this object storage this isn't in a rack where it's an array with a bunch of drives and you know an intelligent head. It's it's commodity hardware, correct? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. tell me a little bit. Of, you know, even if we peel back even one additional layer, what is the hardware ish 
aspects of it look like, right? Yeah. So, for, for, so just from, the, I guess, the bottom up, if I were to draw a picture of it, mm-hmm. I would start with the hardware. And the hardware is standards-based hardware. We care more what's inside the box than the label outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And it means we have to work closely with the component vendors, and we do, to make sure we, we, you know, we're using the, the latest, best price performance stuff with them. Uh, but fundamentally, that means that our customers can go to, and Swift deployers can go to multiple vendors to source their equipment. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a frequent thing. It's like, which vendor are you using? Right. Well, which of the three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is neat. Which, which everyone's cheapest today. Yeah, and that's, it's <laughs> great for these guys that are building out these large data centers mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to source from multiple, multiple places. Or if you have a trusted vendor that you, you're using, right. you can just keep using them. You don't need to go outside of that yep. because you know you're going to get good support from them. Yep. So there's, there's two. Uh, that, that's, that's a great way to drive down cost in the physical equipment. Yep. Uh, and then it's open source based, mm-hmm. and, and that comes with its own cost models to it. Sure. Um, and then architecture-wise, how it works is there's the storage nodes, then there's a proxy nodes. And so wherever you want to have inge- egress into the system, you would have a pool of shared nothing proxy nodes that you could use. And then, uh, at least the way we operate it um, from a Swift stack product perspective is we have a controller, which... You know, the closest analogy I could come to is uh, is something like a software-defined networking controller. Yep. I where, was actually going to ask you if it's yeah, that same analogy kind of. It, it, I think the natu- analogy works pretty well mm-hmm. um, because the the network topology itself is is well behaved even in the absence of the controller. Yep. And likewise with the with the Swift stack uh, store, the whole system for Swift is it's well behaved even in absence. Of 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 some central control point, Mm -hmm. and because if there's a failure, it can route around that failure. If there's a drive that goes bad, replication will take over and ensure durability. Mm -hmm. If there's a down node, requests get routed around it. Sure, and so it's it's well behaved. When a control element becomes really important is when you're doing things like, well, I'd like to deal with that failed equipment. Either I'm going to pull it out of the system, or I want to replace a drive, or you want to expand the system. Mm-hmm. So add additional capacity to the system. Yep. And there, a controller is just a great thing to have, because you can do things like, uh, when you're upgrading, you can, with a controller you can orchestrate, okay, this node, I'm going to pull it out. And then I'm going to upgrade, test it, and then put it back in, right. and then wash, rinse, do a yeah. rolling upgrade. Yeah, you know, right. there's things exactly. like uh, there's things like that which are really great to to have a central control point, mm-hmm. which allows you just to more easily manage and administrate this stuff. Well, and you know, from an I come from an old operations background. From an operations standpoint, the ability to and I use the same analogy with with SDN, software defined networking or object based storage. That I that concept of in place rolling upgrades is just such a powerful message to an operator. Um, a lot of people really point more to like the dynamic aspects of changing this, changing that, and yeah. doing these. Everyone kind of points to those things, but from an you know as an old operations guy, I'm like, well, that's the honestly the cool because that other stuff may or may not change. It may once it's set up and working, you may not. May, but, oh yeah, you know absolutely. So it's, it's, sometimes it's the simplest thing like that. It just makes a world of difference. Right. Like, and, and you know, just going back to the engineering days, one of the features uh, that I'm, I'm really proud of is the ability to clone an entire environment. Mm-hmm. 
just because, hey, I'm about to upgrade my app, and I want to test the upgrade process yeah. before I do the real thing. Sure. Because you always find stuff. Yep. And in, in a similar way, that's that's a, that's what we wanted to be able to provide operators the safe way to um, not. I'm, I don't want to have to take a big maintenance window. Yep. And I don't want to have any client. I don't want to have any TCP streams yes. like drop <laughs> while I'm doing an upgrade. Now, let, let me. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to ask was. Again, going back to that geographic dispersion model, when you have that controller decoupling, mm-hmm. so how does that, is it one controller in each region or data mm-hmm. center? Um, you know, when you're starting to do this geographic disbursement, how does that controller model work as well as the nodes and the replication? Well, these storage, these storage networks, even, even if you're doing one geographic lo- location, you're still traversing... Uh, multiple network segments. Yes, and it is primarily a, a layer three storage system, mm-hmm. and uh, network wise. And so, from that angle, what that means is that the that controller can be really decoupled, and the only thing that each node needs is a route to a controller. Yes, to to get its uh, information on what it should do and report back its health. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that for a, a, a geographically distributed cluster, it means you can have that controller any old place you want. Mm-hmm. And, and each node can connect up into that controller and be managed and operated from, which is really convenient because then, then the operator only has a single pane of glass from which they can, uh, they can do all the, all the operations functions. Yep, very cool. Now... So we've been kind of deep diving on architecture for a little bit, but so tell me a little. So there is again, just to clarify for everyone, there is Swift as a project, mm-hmm. and then there is Swift Stack as a company, and then there is your product, private cloud storage, right. as well. So tell us a little bit about the Commun- differences, sure. the community, the company. You know, because that might be a little confusing for some people. So the Swift, the project is. I'll start with Swift and then mm-hmm. talk about the the company and the and the product. So Swift, the project, it is an OpenStack project. Yes. And there is a lot of participants in OpenStack. There's a lot of participants in Swift. It's no different than any other project in OpenStack. And I think that's one of the unique things about Swift as a open source storage product is the fact that it's it's not just a one company opening up the doors um, on, on 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 their code, so it's available for inspection. It's it's truly having multiple contr- contributors um, and collaborators in in the ecosystem. You know, we're 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 fortunate to have um, a lot of the leadership on the on the the Swift project itself, and you know, we're certainly active in putting a lot of the functionality in and, and doing a lot of development. But we're just we're one participant in a broader community of, of participants, which is, which, which is a neat thing. If you're an operator and you're making a decision about, hey, which storage platform am I going to use, it, it's a way of not putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yes. You know, if, if, meaning there's a lot of people who are, have vested interest in, in the Swift project. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just us. You have uh, Red Hat. You have IBM. You have Intel. Um, and in many more companies that are participating in the project. Sure. Now, um, one thing I wanted to ask, and not a not from a 
disparaging competitors in any way. Mm-hmm. But but I'm just wondering, some people are going to say, well, okay, you know, how do you guys compare to Gluster, to Ceph, to Basho, to, you know, there's a lot of object storage startups out there right now, right? Sure. And, and, and other than the obvious of being based off of Swift, maybe, you know, from an architecture standpoint, is there reasons for or against or just architectural differences between some of some of those right yeah so I, I there absolutely is architectural differences between uh between them all um and and so where i'd say that's where swift focuses and from where it was born was primarily around storage for applications mm-hmm. so so it's it's we're there the the swift platform is really good for storing and serving lots of content, lots of assets. And that means that it can really work with, um, it works with any, any cloud platform that, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but so primarily people are using it to solve storage problems related to the application that they're building. Yes. Uh, and our focus is on object storage. It is on providing that eventual consistency, and we we're, we're strong proponents in the in the, the the cap theorem, where you have consistency, availability, and partition tolerance, and you actually, you know, it's like you know, my my grandpa used to make doors in the factory, <laughs> and he's like Joe, you know, fast, good, cheap, you know, pick any two, right? It's right, the same. Right. It's the same yeah. principles. You actually have to decide, yeah. and that's okay. Right. That's okay. Um, it's okay to be one thing and do that really well. And so what Swift architecture right, is, around, uh, it is around being very durable and highly available. And, and the consistency is eventual. And you know, because of those two, we can, we, can do, uh, we can get much bigger in scale. We can have much faster uh, response times for requests that are coming into that storage systems. We can handle a very high degree of concurrency. I mean, just it—it's it, a these deployments have so much traffic coming in and out of them, and so many connections coming into it. And I mean, just to kind of illustrate the the, the analogy, it's 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 like Swift is really good at lots of incoming TCP streams, lots of tiny straws. So if, sure. you, if you think about how people are building applications, it's like you have lots of devices that you're trying to serve content to. We're not, it's not, well, it's not designed to have one big fat fire hose, if you will, of one object going to it and back. So in that way, the architecture is a little bit different. You bring up a great point there in the fact that a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, this is the 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 ideal use case or the best fit, right? But sometimes people don't go, well, when is this a bad fit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They don't want to talk about that, hey, you know, they're, you're trying to do that and everyone just kind of looks at you, you're doing what? You know, well, you, you well, don't want to be doing that, it's right? Funny. It's funny. It's like, and then people come to us <laughs> Because and like, object storage yeah. isn't the universal end-all, be-all, fits every case, perfect for... it. it in, and I, but I think a lot of people think that it's almost like everyone at times think it's it's the next generation of storage and all everything's going to go that way. But and, and, well, and then there's 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 folks that think that object storage. Oh, you run object storage on commodity hardware. You must be that cheap and deep storage system. I'm like, well, yes, you can. But we also have customers, and they have 
a dedicated SSD tier. Right. They have um, a bunch, of, like tons of nodes, and they have dual 10 gigabit Ethernet links bonded on the back of them. And okay, it's commodity based. It's object storage. Is it high performance? Right. Well, when you're pushing 100 gigabit yeah. out of a cluster, <laughs> exactly. like I, I don't know. Tell me, is that right. high performance or not? I mean, yeah. it, it it is. It, it's it is kind of a next generation way of serving out storage because these next gen applications are 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 changing. You have you have these these enterprise software companies who used to hand out disks and run software in the data center, and oh, people would go buy filers and install it on there, and you know VMware and things like that. Uh, but these days, well, shoot, now they're having to build a software-as-a-service platform, mm-hmm. and suddenly instead of handing CDs out to all their customers, they're pointing their web browsers into their data centers to do enterprise document management, you know, ERP, you know, all those type of functions. Yep. And as a result, they have bigger data centers, larger data sets, and the storage needs have just dramatically changed. Yep. And so this is a new way of thinking about how to solve those storage problems. Yep. And to want to make uh, – I ask you about two last points, and then we'll kind of wrap everything up here. Um, but so Swift and Swift Stack specifically isn't necessarily OpenStack only because it is an OpenStack project. Because it, the way actually I met you for the first time was actually at the CloudStack Stack. Collab conference, which I think would surprise a lot of people, right? <laughs> that that you actually gave a talk about um, Swift in in CloudStack, and you know, full disclaimer for everyone out there, in case you don't already know, I work for Citrix, doing tech marketing for <laughs> all Citrix products. But you know, it was one of those. I was like, oh man, I got to go to this because I just I wanted to see that presentation. But you know, talk a little bit about uh, again, maybe a decoupling at times from OpenStack as a project, right? And it's, right. at the end of the day, it is its own project. And I think that some of the misconceptions is that in order to solve the da- your, your data problem with Swift, you also need to be running the full suite of OpenStack. And yes, we're an OpenStack project and you know, we're very active in the contribution. Uh, but you know, people who have storage problems have storage problems. So our biggest customer is a Citrix cloud platform customer as right. well. And that's what they use to power their, their compute environment, and we sit alongside that. Mm-hmm. Do we support it by you know, storing snapshots and backups of their database environments? Absolutely. Right. Um, do we also serve out assets to, to, to applications? Yes, and that's what we were primarily dragged in for. So that connection in between, between the supporting a, a, a compute environment is, is important, What's more important is being able to, to have a tool that you can give your developers and have operators be able to manage and scale that, that, that infrastructure uh, to solve the, solve the needs of building out those applications. Sure. And so last point, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, I just wanted to talk real quickly about um, kind of governance and compliance. Um, solely from the standpoint of you, you just hear so much about it. No matter where you are in the world, you hear different different areas are important to different sections or different, you know, verticals. And, you know, both yep. Swift as a project and your product. Tell me a little bit about that. So we live in a world where S3 and Amazon have really set the uh, set the stage 
for the rest of us to follow. And we're very practical about that. We encourage new net new applications to be developed using the using OpenStack Swift API because it's the most native thing. They're going to have the most control. They're going to have the best experience with that. At the same time, we have customers, and they have huge, huge, absolutely ginormous Amazon bills, <laughs> and it gets out of control, like right. really, right. really fast. And when you're spending when you're spending forty, you know, hundred k a month on your S three bill, which isn't too uncommon, right? <laughs> you you start to think, go, hmm, maybe we should be doing something different there. And Swift Stack, uh, the the product we we there's also a project dedicated for translating S3 APIs, which is from Amazon, mm-hmm. to the Swift API, and that's a checkbox. Yeah. And we're really practical about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Costco, we have tools to suck out data from Amazon into your into your private cloud as well. Uh, but but I guess I would say we're just we're very very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. There's existing applications. They have a need to continue to behave how they are because the cost of change is too high. Uh, and at the same time, we want to be able to create an alternative ecosystem that can get traction. And what we're seeing is that Amazon hasn't, hasn't really published standards for this on S3. And they don't even version their API. And they'll make changes without updating it. And and Amazon isn't asking, hey, can you hey can you co- we're gonna, can you use this as a standard, please? They're not even asking that. So to me, it's it, I, I think it's difficult to say, hey, this is going to be the new API, and we're going to use this external service that doesn't really give heads up and doesn't want to form a committee or standard around how to how, what it, what it should be. Um, and and I don't think we're alone. We're seeing lots of other companies, not just not just uh, Swift and Swift Stack, but other companies that are standardizing on the Swift API because it is a published standard. And we do rev it, and it is very stable. And we make increments, it's documented. And, and it's very tractical, tractable in a reference implementation. Uh, so so I, we're seeing more and more as Swift emerging as that uh, alternative API to S3 uh, that other companies are adopting, both application providers and also other storage companies. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. All right, so we are out of time for this week. Um, so, so Joe, you said we wouldn't go but 20 minutes, but we're at 35 minutes. Oh, my so goodness. You know. <laughs> we, we, had a little, we had a little running joke going before we hit uh, record here. See, there's plenty to talk about, man. Um, so, Joe, where can everyone find out more about you, about Swift Stack? Um, if you, I think the best thing to do is keep up to date with our blog. Just okay. go to swiftstack.com forward slash blog and uh, – we just launched a new website, and I broke the RSS link, so I just fixed that. It took a few minutes ago. Uh, uh, so that you can get information there uh, and, 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 follow, and follow us there. That would be awesome. the best thing. Very cool. All right. If you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net, where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening.